Covered in Glory is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it, must be 21 years or older. Welcome back to another edition of Covered in Glory, where we are taping here on a Wednesday night after an absolutely madcap 17 days of world-class football, Brett. It uh, is great to get a chance to catch our breath for a couple of days because my breath has absolutely been taken away. What have you thought of the tournament so far? Uh, it's been interesting. Um, I mean, obviously, it, we have a, a little bit of a delightful surprise with our one Cinderella still left, I guess you could say in Morocco. Um, but I mean, honestly, it's been a, it's been a roller coaster of emotions. I've landed in places that I didn't think I would. Um, like I actually have not been minding the real time extra time. Um, I have sort of come full circle on where I'm at with Greg Berhalter. Um, I don't know. That one's still very mixed emotions. Uh, but mostly uh, I, the management, uh, well, this is actually going to be contradictory. I think a lot of the management has been terrible, but I also can tell where managers have just not had a lot of time to work with these teams. And uh, Sal has benefited financially, uh, but most of us have also <laughs> have also uh, kind of been hurt by the fact that it's it's come to fruition in very negative aspects with some of the the game states that we've seen. But where where are you cool. at with everything, Toby? How are you? First off, how are you doing? We ha we haven't had a pod <laughs> since the U.S. has been eliminated. Are you okay? Do I need to virtually hug you before we start the show? Like, where are we at here? No. So uh, I, I told you before the show, I wanted to begin before we jumped into the four quarterfinal matchups with your biggest single takeaways from the World Cup. And I'll go first with my number one takeaway. And it's just how proud I am of the United States of America and the burgeoning soccer power that they're becoming. Um Watching the game, experiencing it on Saturday morning, obviously it, it didn't uh, start well nor end well. Having an early goal like that kind of took the wind out of the sails. Like I was watching it with the American Outlaws here in Austin and, you know, like that whole moment of tension and where all your hopes are still alive and you think we can come out and 1-0 them and we believe that we can win and have your win taken out of your sails that early uh, definitely took away from the experience and the vibe. Um, but you know, to get that late goal and to make it two one and have that all come rushing back and watch the place explode and be part of that moment and that part of eruption of joy and hugging my friends and screaming my lungs out was an incredible five minutes before they conceded another goal and all hopes were dashed. Uh, but my, my overall takeaway is we were one of the last 16 teams left in this tournament. Germany was not, Belgium was not a lot of high quality sides were not. Uh, and we absolutely belong there. And the way I can really tell that we belong is that Netherlands played us with respect. Uh, they didn't play us like we're a doormat. They didn't play us like they expected to roll us. And the where we've come in the last 20 years is a big leap from you know a country like that absolutely coming in and being convinced that they win to playing with a little bit more caution. I know that tactically it made sense for them to hit us on the counterattack. I know they had tremendous success with it, but it's not like that is their natural style of play. 
Um, I kind of looked back at all of their games in preparation for this pod and in preparation for this question. Uh, and the only three teams this entire year that the Netherlands has conceded possession to, so the other side had at least you know 51% of possession, is Germany, Belgium, and the United States of America. Um, and the fact that we are on that list, the fact that we're now being treated that way, the fact that people seem to be realizing that we are a sleeping giant with the resources and athletic talent that we have in this country and the burgeoning love for this sport gives me all the warm and fuzzies I need between now and 2026. Yeah, uh, you know, I- I'm definitely optimistic about the future, um, mostly because of the fact that like when you look at the four-year cycle between 2018 and 2022 we obviously had quite a few surprises in terms of like players that just came out of nowhere that are now like incredibly impactful players and and part of our core here um and you know when i started with the greg berhalter hire i guess where i was was it's an international manager like who cares he kind of was off-putting in terms of what he told told us that he was going to do with the squad um, but it, the thing I'll, I'll have to say is when I came around to the end and that match, there's a lot of talk about him. There's a lot of talk about the U S needs a striker. Um, but really like, it's a very simplistic way of looking at the one thing that I, I finally, that really was, I thought obvious at the end of that match was the U S just didn't have enough good players in the sense that like their midfield's really good. But you drop from the Musa McKinney Adams midfield to Kellen Costa, and that's a big drop, right? Um, you had a, a like a Tim Ream was fantastic, but next to him was Walker Zimmerman, who was shaky at moments, um, and then Cameron Carter Vickers, who was kind of just out there. Um, you know, after Des went off the pitch, it was Shaq Moore and DeAndre Yedlin, like huge drop off. Um, and even Brandon Aronson, who we love, who plays at Leeds, uh, who plays for basically team USA. What direction was that East? Um, you know, Aronson, we were clamoring for him to come on. You and I were texting during the match that maybe you need to get subbed on quicker. Uh, he came on, had a one V one versus daily blend, uh, notorious, super hyper athletic, uh, left back a daily blend and literally just dribbled right into his feet. <laughs> and it was kind of one of those moments where they're like, Oh yeah, maybe, Greg had a reason that he wasn't playing, you know, Reina looked like he was kind of off pace. Um, so it, that was really where it hit me where it's like, Berhalter's going to do some stuff that's like weird and frustrating. And he's going to galaxy brain things that just need to be simply put forward. Um, but my takeaway was there's a really impressive and exciting core. And yeah, it would be awesome if we were one of the countries that had an amazing striker. But I think the biggest thing for me looking forward to 2026 is like, they just need a couple more midfielders. They need some decent quality attacking players. So there isn't this big drop off behind Pulisic and Wea um, and Gio Reyna when he's healthy and fit and that we can figure out probably the center back pairing partnership again. So I was really impressed with how that midfield came together, how we were basically like, this is our engine. We have this identity. Uh, Berhalter at least gave them that there was a clear plan of how they wanted to play with winning the ball back. You know, but what happened against the Netherlands and part of the reason why our bets didn't hit is they were wiped out. I mean, I, I don't I don't know if you saw anything different, um, yeah. but I mean, to me, they were just wiped out. But it was really impressive that we were going into that match being like this team can beat the Netherlands dot 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 if they aren't on fumes. Um, 
Well, and the and the Netherlands thought they could beat the Netherlands. I mean, as we're talking about with their style of yeah. play, so it wasn't just two jackasses on a podcast. It was like you know, one of the world's superpowers like gave them the respect of the play because they thought that they could be beaten. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you know your point is you're making is is the correct one. Like depth is inc- incredibly important uh, to the squad because they lack it right now. Like we're I'm. I am very happy that this was the first starting 11 that didn't have an MLS player in it, but I'm less happy that the subs were MLS defenders over <laughs> yes, and over again. Yes. So, so like, I mean, I think one of the big questions that's facing the United States as we move through uh, to the next world cup cycle where we're hosting is was Christian Pulisic one in a million or just the first of many. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he's just the first of many. I mean, we're now sending kids overseas at like 14, 15, 16 years old. They're going through the top academies. They're yeah, going I mean, through we have Bayern. kids that are in La Mesa. So, going yeah. through Barca. Exactly. They're going through La Mesa. Um, and so I think that we are watching like the evolution of that depth happen. Mm-hmm. It's just they need to age into it. And but like the very fact that we have starters nailed on that can get to the top 16 before their prime that are all going to be in their prime next year with a wave of kids behind them and a wave of kids behind them uh, behind that one is extraordinarily exciting for the future of anybody who, you know, kind of bleeds the red, white and blue. Um, And I would just reiterate what I kind of talked about on the last I think it was the last pod when we were talking about the future of U.S. soccer. Like, let's look at a list of people. People between 5'5 and 6'2, between 150 and 190 pounds, and, and like overlap that with net worth gained through profession, being a professional athlete. And I bet you it's going to filter out almost entirely soccer players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so don't be a running back. Don't be a defensive back. Don't, you know, unless you're a, a giant wide receiver or a real speedster. Like if you're just going to get churned out of the college system, there's a hundreds of thousands of jobs available for you to make seven, eight figures throughout the course of a 10 or 15 year career in the world of soccer. And you actually fit the profile a lot better than you do for the NFL than you do for uh, a lot of other sports. If you're six, eight play in the NBA, Godspeed. But if you are a freak athlete who is on, you know, the size ranges that I'm talking about, you should be picking up a soccer ball as young as you can. You should be trying to get through some of these academies if sports is your ultimate goal, and you should not be getting concussions on a high school football field. Yeah, and 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 again, the, the important point to remember too is like you and I are going to be able, as fans, are going to be able to benefit from you know kind of the fun factor of watching the guys that came out of nowhere because like where was Matt Turner in 2018 when we were failing to qualify, right? Where was Eunice Musa? Where was Tim Weah? Um, I mean, Haji Wright, even who had the goal against the Netherlands, like, where was he? Um, Brandon. Uh, did he though? Uh, Does he know he scored there? Cause he certainly <laughs> I think didn't he know. Did. He I mean, he gets credit for it. So we're going to give him credit for it. Um, you are. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I am going to give him credit for it. Um, but like, where, where was Brandon Aronson? Like, where was Ant- uh, Anthony Robinson? So like, that's like the cool part about what we're about to see over these next four years is we are going to witness, you know, we're, we're going to see all the, here's the way too early 2026 U S men's lineup. And that stuff's all going to be like basically useless. Um, and, but you and I are going to reap the benefits of every year, every cycle. There's going to be maybe this guy that comes out of nowhere that all of a sudden it's like, wow, like he's going to be a guy that's going to matter, you know, in, in 2026. <laughs> Yeah, and I I don't want to be callous, and we should move out off the U.S. since they're no longer involved in this tournament. You know, after I make this point, and I know this sounds callous, but the U.S. passport is a very powerful one. 
this is a prosperous and secure nation and citizenship in it is not something that we actually should take for granted. I mean, I think sometimes that does happen since we were born into it. But these the uh, players that have immense talent in their teenage years that are eligible for multiple countries, we should continue to aggressively recruit them to the United States for more than just what they can achieve on the soccer field, but for what you know a U.S. citizenship um, unveils uh, unto them. So I hope that we continue to do that. That you know the people that, that do have dual eligibility or tri eligibility through birthright or, or through uh, heritage continue to don the stars and stripes because guess what it's a pretty amazing place to be able to settle and minutes are available for the top talents unlike they might be at Brazil or England or Germany or the places that uh, they might otherwise go to play. Yeah, man, and and I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. There's going to be some big time recruiting battles um, that are existing out there for some of the promising young talents. So, you know, and then that was the one thing that Jurgen Klinsmann did really well um, in terms of bringing that idea of like going after these dual citizen players, getting them into the player pool, and we reap the benefits from that. Um, but one thing yeah. that, I, that I I have to say, and and speaking of reaping the benefits, I have come around. On the extra extra time, Toby, um, I have reaped the benefits of all that extra time. And here's my here's my thought on this. And I, and I want you and and you will not hold back. I, I shouldn't even say don't hold back because you will not. But one of the things that I think has always bothered fans that are trying to get into soccer or the common critique of soccer is when you get into the extra time or you're getting to the later time in the match. There's a lot of the gamesmanship that goes on. The a guy brushed his neck or my neck with his fingernail. I'm going to stay down for five minutes. And one of the things about the the real time being added into this World Cup versus like in maybe even the Premier League that we cover is that that type of stuff wins out, right? Like if you lay down, fake an injury for three minutes, they might only add one minute of extra time. But now with the initiative of like, we're stopping the watch every time that there's a stoppage, it's kind of nice because it like, it would be the way that you would stamp out some of that stuff. And so while it has extended these games like really, really deep, and it's been sort of frustrating in that sense, I actually see the merit to it. And I think if this was something that was instituted on a universal level, it would stamp out the substitutes like walking in circles four times before they went off the pitch. It would stamp out the guy being like, oh, he stepped near my foot, so I'm going to be down for five minutes. I actually think it's a generally good thing that could reduce some of the weird gamesmanship that I think takes away from the beauty of the sport. And I've kind of enjoyed it um, in that sense. And it has added an extra layer of tension. I will say that. Well, I, I think it's a half measure. Like if you actually believe what you're saying right now, like you should be a proponent of the 60 uh, minute, like with, with stoppage for every single time. And like, you know, kind of like the, more like the NFL style ball goes out of bounds for a throw in, they stop the clock substitute. They stop the clock, et cetera, and so forth. I know that's one thing that's on the table. Um, there's some other initiatives that are on the table. Like this just seems like I agree it, it's incremental and that it changes the incentive structure for some of the disgusting behavior. Um, but I think, you know, they should either look at the clock and, and try to think about it differently. I, I know that's very difficult in a sport kind of with a 200 year history and a lot of respect for it. Um, or they should start carding it. I mean, like I, 
I think that one underrated aspect, because it's ruined soccer in so many ways, VAR, I think, has had a positive impact on flopping. Uh, because what's the point of the like insane theatrics that are clearly never going to draw a penalty under VAR review? So why do it in the first place? So like on an edge case, yes, there is still an incentive structure that uh, says you should go down and try to draw the penalty because it's an insane thing. If you win, you essentially get a goal, which is unbelievably value uh, valuable in the course of a soccer game. But like taking like huge dives that VAR is going to wipe out anyway, like the incentive structure is no longer there to do it. So I like things that are cleaning up some of the undesirable part of the games. I agree with you that this clock can be one of those, but I'd like to actually see them take a little bit farther with either cards or like a stopped clock that keeps it in real time. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm all for that. And obviously there's been a ton of things banded about with like the penalty remake in terms of making a foul inside the box, not be this incredibly like outrageously good chance to convert it into a goal. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been interesting too, because like we used to talk, well, you know, it used to be called Fergie time, obviously. Right. And it's kind of yeah. like every match now has like this element of Fergie time to it, where it's like, it's not really over guys. Like we're at the 90 minutes, but you have no idea how much longer is actually going to be left in this match. Um, and I think it'll be interesting. Like I'm sure, there's going to be a downside if in one of these quarterfinal matches, we see like a result turn in the 99th minute. Um, there's definitely going to be some, some hollering about that. Um, but I, I have to say, I, I thought it was ridiculous at first as the world cup has went on. I thought it, I actually kind of come around on it a little bit. Um, but the one thing I haven't come around on that I've been a little disappointed is we've had, we had Ryan O'Hanlon on our podcast for a preview podcast. And one of the things that we talked about, heavily with set pieces. And we mentioned specifically Denmark who basically like only tried to score off set pieces <laughs> did not work yeah. well for him. But one of the, you know, the fun thing about the euros, even with Garrett Southgate in England is we signed kind of saw all these tricky plays. We got to hear about all these things about, Oh, they're, they're hiring people that are basketball people and football people to drop these plays. And mostly the thing that we've seen the most out of corners is like a couple of short corners with like no real plan behind it. Just like they kicked it short and saw it happen. Um, and it's been really disappointing. I was really hoping that this would be a year that we would see that it would help us. It would help create more goals. Um, I was one of the reasons why I was shocked at, you know, how many nil nil matches there were is because you, we just, I just expected there to be more goals in this tournament. Cause it's like, we saw what happened in 2018. We saw what happened in the euros. Like their teams are going to realize like, this is a thing. Right. <laughs> um, and they didn't. And I think that was one thing that definitely stood out to me at this point was, the world cup could have used the more goals. I mean, Sal would have been unhappy with it, but I thought in general, <laughs> we could have avoided uh, a lot of zero, zero matches if that was going on. But the flip side of that is this in season world cup. I wonder how much that would have changed. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. If we had a normal run-up where these national teams were together, do you think we would be staring down the barrel of so many scoreless draws of so many low scoring matches if there was more prep time or is this just kind of like a byproduct of maybe what the teams are like? 
No, when we were on against all odds, I you know told the gang that they should take the over four and a half nil nil draws for a variety of reasons. One of them being the timing of the World Cup, and so there's two obvious uh, effects here on what you're talking about. One is the players are more gassed than usual because they didn't have as much recovery time. I mean, these guys were flying from World Cup games and playing, you know, and I'm sorry from their domestic league games and playing in World Cup li- games like a few days later. It was insane. But second, they had all almost no time to practice together in the immediacy before the world cup and like set piece design and sex set piece execution requires time on the training ground. I like, I, I never, you know, played at that high a level. I never coached that high a level, but I can't imagine that there's a lot of like success with just like pure draw it in the dirt. And all of a sudden like magic happens, yeah. like, you know, when, when you're playing, uh, football in, in fourth grade and you just draw up some crazy play with the stick and then it ends up always being just throw it deep to the fastest and strongest kid and then you act like you're a coaching genius like I, I there wasn't a whole lot of uh, of the time to allow for that so I kind of I agree with you that the analytics say that set piece are being w- wasted throughout the World Cup I think that is an, an arguable point mathematically but is that expectation fair given the time and given the tiredness and given the lack of training I think that's a separate question. Yeah, no, and I and I agree, and that's why I said my critique with how generally awful international managers have been with some of their decision making uh, isn't you know has some nuance to it, right? Like, I there definitely is some excuses to be made in terms of how the set piece stuff has played out, but when you look at like the Switzerland match and how uh, I think it's Yakin is their their national team coach like played a back three after basically playing a back three only one other time this year. And it allowed Portugal to boss that match, um, get up early goals, kind of mitigated the thing with Portugal had problem with in the group stages, which was like getting the ball and keeping the ball in dangerous areas. And obviously no Ronaldo, Ronaldo help with that. Um, but there was a lot of that. And I praised, you know, the Japan for early subs. And then we were, you know, talking about what we were just talking about, about the, the run up time and the guys flying over and the fatigue and like, here's Japan subbing early, getting guys on to 45 minutes. And it was very clear when they didn't sub until I think like the 65th minute in that match against Croatia, that it was all just reactionary to the fact that they were down in their initial group stage matches, it was not a well thought out plan. Um, and that was really like kind of a bummer. <laughs> um, I think the Switzerland match is mostly because I thought that could have been a really fun upset opportunity that they blew there. And then just for Japan, because I really was like, okay, at least there's someone here that's thinking, you know, holistically about what this tournament is and what could give them an advantage. And here they are. And then they get to the knockout round game and they do the exact opposite thing of the stuff that helped them come from behind against two of the world's best teams. And so the managing decisions have just been really weird and off-putting. Um, and maybe that's more like of me as a soccer dork. Uh, but I think there's been general frustrations, obviously, some fair and some unfair with Berhalter with the U S but I think that's been kind of a bummer It's just, we've seen some stuff from these managers that just seems like very weird, like Enzo Fernandez, not playing basically the first two matches for Argentina. Like, what do you need to see in training? Know that that kid should be out on the pitch for 90 minutes, every single match behind Messi to let Messi be Messi up the pitch. Um, So it's kind of one of those things where, they have some excuses for some of the way that this has shaped out, um, but a lot of it, it's been not so good. 
Yeah, well, no surprise uh, to your dark rain cloud of things you didn't like. I do want to say, as, as my other big takeaway, I'm going to save my third one for a future show because we got to get to the games. But um, as, as the relative ray of sunshine on this podcast, <laughs> uh, my other big takeaway is that this remains the single greatest sporting event in the world. And the real star is the format itself. Yep. Um, like that was going to be Messi, my last point, by the way. I'm not a total yeah. Debbie Downer. <laughs> Messi, Mbappe, Neymar, uh, all the great players that are on there. Like, there's there's some version of that in 18 and 14 and 1970 and 1958. Like everything a one is the format itself that makes this the greatest event in the world. It is absolutely perfect. The three group stage games are enough that you know it makes the four year wait. Uh, not feel incredibly like almost torturous and mean to only play one game and get eliminated. Uh, there's always shifting and, and constant changing of incentives and alignments and who needs what and things like that. And then obviously like the, the simultaneous games on the third are just orgasmic. They're so they're so unbelievably awesome. And then, you know, so you do that for a little over two weeks and it's like, it, like the, your day is perfect as well. Right. Like depending on your time zone. I mean, I would, I admit I, I only got up for a couple of the 4am games, but you know, having it 7am then 10am then 1pm. So you have this hour and 50 minute sprint and then you got a little time to recover and then you check the lineups and then you get to do the next game and things like that. I mean, it's just absolutely glorious and so i think it like takes the best parts uh and then you get to the knockout rounds and the knockout rounds i mean that now now you still have a little bit of randomization because it's only one game and goals are fluky and things can happen but they're all just they're just so incredibly exciting and they're so perfectly spaced like as a u.s fan games every four days not every seven days not every day so it it doesn't feel special Mm -hmm. um the only like real comparatives i think in the world of sports is something like march madness when march madness you could be one and done um and you know there's there's games every four days and then there's three days off and then there's four days, three days. Like the rhythm of it isn't quite as solid as going straight through. And then the only place that has like this straight through rhythm is the Olympics, but the Olympics are overwhelming and therefore divisive in terms of um, the discussion and commentary around it. Like you might love the, the soccer. I might love the basketball. Somebody else might love the archery and we don't all get to have the same conversation. So it's awesome that the Olympics are condensed into 17 days, but it's nowhere near as great to consume because you're not in, you know, these tribes that are all consuming it together. So um, FIFA is already messing with it in 2026. They did, I think, respond to some of the outrage that fans have expressed, and they've no longer said they're dead set on 16 three-person groups. So there's a chance some version of this format can live on, which I will just hold my breath and uh, hope to not die waiting on FIFA to do the right thing, but probably bet against me. Um, but like, don't mess with this. It is the greatest sporting event in the world, and it's, and it's not entirely because of the format, but the format has a lot to do with it yeah and so so my last thing before we get to the other matches um my my very positive note was i was definitely of things that uh like really had captured me during this stretch i was not expecting the three-day stretch that we had in the group stages um culminating probably with the uh four teams from uh group f i believe germany's group germany spain japan and costa rica all being uh, qualified for the knockout rounds at one point in the second half of their match. Um, I was not anticipating anything remotely like that. Uh, like we had t- talked about, 
we kind of thought maybe this would be chalky that like the eventual end result was going to happen. We kind of saw it a little bit with, you know, Argentina losing to Saudi Arabia, but then kind of clearly coasting into the knockout round. Um, I was not expecting any of that. It's definitely not expecting Japan to get through with where things were. I was definitely not expecting to be texting you that Costa Rica is not currently qualified for the knockout round after we saw. Did you see the, the, the Spain manager didn't even know the Spain manager came out afterwards and he didn't even realize that they were out of the cup for, for a little bit of time. I did not see that Enrique did that. Um, I was more, I was more tuned into his conversations about whether or not his players should have orgies before they play. Um, but, but no, I, I was definitely not expecting that. And, and it goes into your point of how great this format is and how this format builds to a certain thing. I was not expecting like three straight days of that. <laughs> and I think part of the reason why I was actually happy to have a day off is I was still coming down from that group stage stuff that we went through. Um, it was great. It is part of the reason why this event is so cool and so fun. Even if the, the quality of the soccer and the decisions by managers and, and things aren't always up to the level, um, that was a really awesome and unexpectedly cool three, three day stretch right there. Yeah. And look, the, you know, it was Sunday through a Tuesday. So what's that? 17 days. I mean, it was just nonstop, perfect sporting experience. Yeah. Like it was perfect. Uh, and it's not over luckily. So we still have seven remaining games. We have eight teams and we have heavyweight matchups every single time yeah. that we're going to talk about a game. So we're going to take a real quick break and then we're going to start to dive into these titanic clashes. Your first bet with Caesars Sportsbook and Casino. It's on Caesars up to $1,250. Download the app with promo code C-Z-R-F-U-L-L and place your first bet. If you win, congrats. If you don't, you'll get it all back as a free bet. That first bet also gives you a thousand tier credits and a thousand reward credits, putting you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer free stays, game tickets, experiences, and more. You must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ontario, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, and Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah, and other states where prohibited. Yes, you have to know when to stop before you start. If you have a gambling problem in Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Virginia, West Virginia, or Pennsylvania, or if you know someone who has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER or in Maryland, visit MarylandGamblingMDGamblingHelp.org or West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net, Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP, Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700, Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT, Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y. That's 467-369. Or text C-O-N-N-E-X to 247-247. Tennessee, call or text Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. 
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Okay, we are back, and we are going to tackle these in chronological order again. That means we are starting with Croatia versus Brazil. Friday at 10 a.m. Brazil over at Caesars is minus 295. Croatia is plus 750. The draw is plus 400. On the adjusted line, Brazil minus a goal and a half is plus 105. Croatia is minus 135. Uh, Remember that these are 90-minute lines for those who didn't listen to our show last week, so that's why a draw is still in there. Uh, So the lines that I read you will settle after 90 minutes. If you want to take that kind of drama out to qualify, Brazil is minus 650. Croatia is plus 375. Uh, Finally, I'm going to give out over-unders because we're down to just a handful of games here. Uh, just to give you more of a menu to bet from uh, over under 2.5 goals in this game is over minus 125. The under is minus 105. Uh, so, Brett, I mean, what else is there really to say about Brazil at this point? Right. Like after that display they showed last week where they absolutely toyed with South Korea, a very proud team, a very accomplished team on the international stage that just got blown off the pitch in the first 45 minutes. Uh, I walked away from that you know, game saying, let's just hand them the cup. And then the other teams walked out on the field and they put on impressive performance as well. And so maybe it's not so fast, but when it comes to this game, like this individual game, this is the one I feel most confident about of the entire four, not just because of how great Brazil looks, but because how spent Croatia is going to be like, not only are they one of the older sides, not only do they rely on uh, some really key players that are on the wrong side of 30, despite really incredible careers, they just had to play an extra 30 minutes and go through a penalty kick just to advance. So I love the adjusted line for Brazil here. Give me them at minus 1.5 at plus 105. And once we get into the props, you're going to see I'm all over all sorts of Brazil overs and goal scoring props. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think you and I are on the same page, uh, obviously 100% with this. I think the only argument that you can make for Croatia is that Ivan Perisic has sold his soul to the devil in order for Croatia to advance without ever actually winning a soccer match to back-to-back uh, World Cup finals. So they they are, like you said, they are spent. They probably shouldn't have gotten through um, in general, um, I thought Japan missed an opportunity to eliminate a really tired and ragged team. Um, I thought, obviously, the penalty shootout was a little bit depressing from Japan's point of view. Do you have any explanation of that? I mean, like both penalty shootouts that we just watched were just full of piss poor penalties. Is that purely nerves? Is it guys who aren't used to taking them? Like from an analytics perspective, I was sitting there wondering why these were so horrible. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, you could point out that like, super small sample size. If you're going by the numbers of like, you know, maybe everybody converts every penalty from here on out. What we saw was like a weird outlier. Um, but actually our, our friend Ryan just came out with an article on ESPN today. We actually wrote about penalties um, and basically said that there is a weird 
um, dip in terms of penalty takers, especially after the first two penalty takers. Um, so we, we obviously Japan missed, um, early and often, um, but, uh, you know, one of the things is that, that you, when you look at the numbers of how penalties are converted about 78%, 78 or 80% of the time, basically normally across normal matches and regular time. And by like the third, I think, penalty taker in Ryan's article, the numbers were about 65% conversion rate. And the obvious explanation is this pressure. Um, and I mean, yeah, it's tough. Like, I I think that's it. I think you're right. I think with a team like Japan, you just don't get a lot of players that are the guys that take big pressure pack penalties for their club teams. Um, they're mostly because they're not really playing in like super high leverage matches either. Like, None of nobody that was on the pitch for Japan that was taking a penalty is like playing in a Champions League semifinal and taking a penalty. And that's probably the only thing that you could say could possibly like correspond to the pressure that they take uh, or the pressure that's on them when they take a penalty for their country at the World Cup. So I definitely think that's a huge part of it. Like uh, the numbers kind of bear that out. Obviously, I think it was a little bit to the extreme in what we saw. Um, and, And Bono, I mean, Bono from Morocco also was just a monster. Um, and there, and that's the other thing too, is like there, we might find out that there's some goalkeepers here that are just absolutely incredible with either their gamesmanship and, or just their size, um, that are going to be really good at saving penalties. I mean, maybe Knoppert from the Netherlands is going to be incredible because he's like six, seven. <laughs> um, and we don't have a lot of like run up even knowing how good he is at saving penalties just because we just don't have a ton of data on it. So I think with Japan, I think your theory is right. I think it's the pressure. I think it's guys that are just not used to taking penalties in high leverage moments, all of a sudden taking the most important penalty of their life, you know? Um, So it's disappointing. And and you obviously feel for those guys in those situations, but like, I'm hopeful that now that, you know, we continue to thin the crop a little bit um, that we're going to see like some really exciting tense penalty shootouts that aren't based off guys just like kicking the ball right to the keeper. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned Paris excelling his soul. Like, how do you feel about Rickarlison? Like, you watched him at Everton flop around for many, many years, and all of a sudden he's going to win the Golden Boot at the World Cup? Yeah. Like, how, does that just, how does that hit your emotions? So there is a whole story uh, with Richarlison here, and that one is that I am the biggest d- in the world uh, because I could not stand him at Everton because he was kind of a heel Uh, He flopped all the time. He once literally tried to rip the ball away from a teammate to take a penalty. And it caused a whole scene where I think like Leighton Baines had to get involved and be like, no dude, like we have a penalty taker. Like he's taking it. Um, But then I found out that he's like an awesome human being. And I don't know how, uh, if you saw his interview with like Ronaldo, where he literally broke down into tears, like talking about how it was his idol and like how much he looked up to him and how incredible it was that he actually like, gets to meet him and that he, he was supporting their team. Um, so basically I am rooting for him uh, because in the opposite side, you have a guy like Neymar that was supporting a terrible president in Brazil just to get out of a tax scandal. Um, so I'm happy. I don't know what he did. I also think that what we're seeing with Richarlison is like, he has Neymar behind him, uh, Rafinha to his right and Vinicius junior to his left. Can you get better service than that? Like, could you and I yeah. score at the World Cup with that kind of service? I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I can't do a seal impression bouncing it around in my head before laying off like three perfect touches into the net. Yeah. But other than that, then yes, I could get tap-ins for sure. Yeah. And I think that's part of what we see. It's like 
Yeah, he plays with Harry Kane and Spurs, but it is not the same as playing with literally two of the maybe five best attackers in the world uh, behind him and in front of him. And then a guy that plays at Barcelona on the right wing. So like, I, I'm happy for the dude. <laughs> I'm very much so now that I see what an incredible human being he is. Um, but like, I, I think a lot of his success is just, he's made some pretty miraculous plays that don't are, are not repeatable. Um, but he is also playing for a team that is just like incredibly well set up to just give him a million great chances. Well, are you joining me in the adjusted line here? Oh, yeah, 100%. Half, or do you got something else for us? No, 100%. My, like I said, my only argument was for Croatia was some black magic thing where they can just continue to advance, never actually winning matches. <laughs> well, if we both have them on the adjusted line. What do you have for the props? Because I got a whole lot listed here. You can tell me what you uh, like well, after you give me yours. My first one is, man, I know I'm boring. You can just make fun of me now. We'll get to your exciting stuff after my boring one. The clean sheet win. Um Again, we talked about the spine, Marquinhos, Thiago Silva, Allison in the back, Casemiro in front, super dead Croatia team. You're getting plus money for it. It feels like a trap. So I hate to be the guy that's always like, I'm going to take a good team, do a good thing and clean sheet Brazil like I did last week, which didn't pay off. But at plus 103, I just think there's no way. I mean, Croatia struggled to get the ball in the net against Japan. Now it's Brazil. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you you and I are similar. Uh, I think the other games are going to, well, maybe not Morocco, Portugal. We'll get to that in a second. I think this has the uh, chance to be the most forgettable of the four because it could be over almost before it started. And as such, I'm just taking all sorts of Brazil bets here. Uh, on my list is not just the over-under uh, at, the, at minus 125 at two, for the over-under 2.5 goals. Uh, I when I looked through the anytime goal scorer, the one that just absolutely jumped off the page to me was Vinicius Jr. Yeah, plus two twenty five, uh, plus two sixty in Caesars. Okay, uh, yeah, Caesars has him at plus two sixty. So at plus two sixty with his speed against tired legs, like I think yeah. he's just going to absolutely feast out on the left. So I love that one. Um, goal in both halves, yes, is minus one twenty five. So unless it, they score five in the first half and then shut it down, uh, I think that they're just going to be more likely to score as the game progresses and Croatia wears down more and what Brazil brings on a couple of impact subs in the second half. And it's, you know, the 12th best attacker in the world instead of the fifth best. Like it's still ridiculous who they're going to bring on to face dead Croatian legs. So I like that one a lot. Um, our boy Richarlison, two shots on target. Is plus one twenty, dude. We have like the same so, bets. <laughs> this is nuts. <laughs> uh, well, doing this too long together. Um, so he's hit this in two out of his three games. He smells the golden boot, and you know if we think they're going to drill Croatia, I think he's going to be right in the middle, just teeing off. Uh, Brazil to win in the over two point five together is plus one ten. Brazil to win both halves is another one I love. Uh, so if you think they're going to score in both halves and you don't think Croatia is going to score at all, you can get Brazil to win in both halves for plus 205 and really start juicing the numbers. And then the final one, which is a little bit more of a shot in the dark, but it's an informed shot in the dark based on um, the projected game state. Brazil to score a penalty is plus 295. And when you have this level of speed and this level of attacking prowess uh, facing guys who are dead on their feet, you're going to get a lot of late tackles. You're going to get a lot of grabs. You're going to get a lot of shoves. And um, I think there's an excellent chance that one of those happens in the penalty box and ends up at a spot kick. 
Well, the only one that you uh, didn't have that was on my sheet as, as well, or was on my sheet, was uh, Vinny with an assist was plus two, uh, 260 as well. So he is going to live, live in the Croatian box. And so literally any goal involvement for Vinicius Jr. just seems like something you should be putting your money on. All right. We'll put lots of money on that game uh, if you're so inclined to bet, because I think that, I mean, now that we said all that, watch Croatia 1-0 and Brazil goes out. Yeah, and, no. and, It'll be yeah, nil-nil, nil, they'll, win in, they'll win in penalties somehow. It just, it's destined, it's written in the stars. But it, it feels, at least going into the weekend, the most predictable of the yes. matchups of how it's going to unfold, in my opinion. 100%. Uh, so let's move to a less predictable matchup, Brett. Netherlands versus Argentina in a real freaking banger Friday at 2 p.m. Argentina is plus 119. The Netherlands is plus 250. The draw is plus 215. Argentina minus half a goal is plus 115. The Netherlands to either win or send it to extra time is minus 145. To get uh, you know all of the... Murkiness out of the way, just to qualify, Netherlands is plus 125. Argentina is minus 167. Uh, so we, if we're starting to predict these games the same way, Brett, I'll let you go first this time, and then I'll see if I agree. All right. I'm going to say this with a huge caveat, and I apologize to my advance this one. Uh, if Scaloni is on some dumb shit, all bets are off. <laughs> you see the starting 11. Um, but right now... I I just think it's so hard to pick against Messi um, in this moment. I also look at the fact that like the U.S. had a ton of possession and like one-on-ones and open space and, and on the flanks and, and even in the central areas in the final third. And like when they were doing it, it was like Brandon Aronson or way ahead of the ball or even just Dest. And like that's going to be messy now. So Argentina at plus nine one nineteen to win in regulation. I just don't. I mean, it's messy, and he's going to have that space. Like, am I, what am I? Am I missing anything? Like, where are you at? I, that's where I'm at. Well, look, if we think the USA could beat Netherlands, and we felt that confident predicting last week, and I thought Netherlands, I will. I, I want to give Netherlands their prop. I thought the best game they played wildly, like by a wide margin uh, of the four I've seen them play was against the USA. I would agree. So if you want to say that is who this Netherlands team actually is, uh, then, you know, you feel less good about picking a team like the United States to beat them. But did we just see their best game or did they reveal their true form? I think there's a decent chance we just saw their best game. And if you thought USA was going to beat them on their previous form, then you got to love Argentina to beat them right. uh, on that, on, on that same form. Um, I will show Netherlands a little bit respect here because they are incredibly well coached for the international level. Like I'm not sure Louis van Gaal's uh, winning a premier league or a champions league anytime soon, but he might be the manager of the year in the international stage. So congratulations on you know, being six foot in a land of guys who are five one. Um, <laughs> but in that in that regard, like I, I'm going to take Argentina, but I'm going to take them just to qualify at minus one sixty seven. I think uh, the the spread that you have between plus one nineteen and minus one sixty seven is worth like getting that lower juice to cover yourself for extra time because Netherlands could you know take this to nil nil or take this to one one, get it into extra time. 
God help everybody if it reaches penalties. Um, but you know, Arge- with that bet, you're still covered if Argentina does pull it off in regulation one zero two zero two one, whatever it might be. So I think the greatest range of outcomes is covered by that number, um, and it's not enough penalty to worry about versus just having to bet the regulation line. Yeah, and honestly, um, has super boring. That was literally my my thought process as well. Was but I I I'm a little more bullish that the good part of what we saw in the Netherlands against the U.S. was more a function of the U.S. being tired and not having a guy like Messi or Di Maria um, to be able to convert some of those one on ones that that open space in the final third into high quality chances, high quality shots. So that was what pushed me towards the 90 minutes instead of the two advanced. So I, w- I was willing to take the juice, lose the extra 30 minutes um, for the Argentina to advance. That was the difference for me, but I, I I'm right there with you. Um, but with that in mind, if you really want to go in on like Messi's going to have the space that Sergio Des now had um, Argentina to win and Messi to score plus 225. It's yeah, the 90 minute one. one. It's the 90 minute one, but this one seems to me like the best line of the two because I think Messi is going to have a match where he is going to have five or six shots, um, maybe a penalty. Uh, and at this stage, I, I just have to keep back in that dude. Like he's the goat. <laughs> we gotta keep back in the goat. Yeah. I mean, we talked about this last time, right? Yeah. Like Messi's uh anytime goal scorers two times ago, where both of us took him was like plus 130. We couldn't believe it's a plus number. And then the, he comes back the next game, it's minus 125. And we're like, hell yeah, we'll still take yeah. it. Minus 125, absolutely. He scores again. And then I guess out of respect for the Netherlands and, and Van Dyke and uh, Nathan Aki, his number is now back to plus 160. So like plus 160, I, I would have considered it at minus 160. Plus 160 is an auto play. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just because because it's messy. That's That number... is ridiculous um so yes that was on my list if you do want argentina in regulation if you do want argentina in regulation uh i think the juice gets more worth it if you push them up to plus 215 i think one of our questions about netherlands throughout the tournament is where are the goals going to come from and you know memphis dupai is had a better tournament, particularly lately, than we expected. But I still have some of those questions lingering. And so getting Argentina on a clean sheet win up to uh, plus 215 instead of the plus 119 starts to make the juice a little bit more worth it for me rather than the just to qualify. But my actual favorite prop, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is Argentina to score second half. The yes is only minus 120. Uh, both goals the Netherlands have conceded in this tournament have been in the second half. And five of the seven goals that Argentina have scored have been in the second half. And there's so many different ways that this can take place. Uh, if, you know, it's 1-0 Netherlands mining chance, obviously Argentina is going to press incredibly hard in the second half to score. Uh, after a very tight 0-0 first half, then, you know, both sides have some incentive to open up, particularly Argentina, who does not want this to go to penalty kicks, who lose some of their advantage facing the gigantic uh, Netherlands goalkeeper that you already described and definitely want to find one in real in the first half. Or it could just be like, hey, this is the fifth game these guys have played in two weeks and the most high pressure uh, scenario possible. And like there hasn't been a lot of rotation for Netherlands. And so, you know, tired legs can lead to uh, easy goals. And to get this at almost a coin flip, 
feels like a great number to me. Yeah, I mean the the only bet I would really add uh, to that, and and this kind of goes in the same vein of I think where you're at and where we both ended up wet at with just the, the money line bets or the or Argentina to advance, is the exact score line of one zero Argentina is plus five fifty on Caesars. Um, I they have struggled to create a ton. So the only way I can really see them getting to two or three goals is hot finishing at this point. Um, And their defending has been really good and really consistent all tournament. And we also saw that the Dutch are going to play a counterattacking match. If they did against the U S we can sure guess that they're going to do it against Argentina. Um, And I think Argentina is going to be much better with players like Enzo Fernandez with Alexis McAllister with Messi at pinning the Dutch back. So that one Oh scoreline, I mean, it has to happen one in every five matches. It seems like that's the yeah. scoreline way more than one in every five matches. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I want to go to the break and cover the rest of the games, but like that last point you made is an important one. If, if the Netherlands and the Dutch uh, want to play a counterattacking style, uh, Messi has been facing low blocks like his entire career. Like uh, throughout Syria, often in Champions League and group leg stages, like a lot of times in Argentina playing in uh, uh, in their confederation against the other teams, like so many teams have been trying to counterpunch Messi that there's no one, literally no one in the world that I trust more to break down a low block than Lionel Messi. Yeah. So if the Netherlands chooses to play that way, um, it will likely result very differently than it did against a young U.S. team that is absolutely not used to facing that level of respect from the teams they play against outside of like CONCACAF. Yeah, and if Daly Blind is the one that now is one-on-one versus Messi instead of Brandon Aronson, just God rest his soul. <laughs> Man, leave Aronson alone. The guy hadn't had any touches in weeks. You can't expect him to come out, you know. It, does, it doesn't there's no, there's no excuse for that one. It was one of the worst 1v1s I've seen in the tournament. I'm sorry. I love Brandon Aronson. I will continue watching him at Leeds. That was a bad moment. <laughs> All right. All right, Stormcloud. Uh, let's take a quick break so I can get an umbrella from his reign of negativity against our United States heroes. And then we'll be back for the final two matches of the quarterfinals. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Okay. We have our one underdog of this quarterfinals. Our clear, definite underdog is Morocco, and they're taking on Portugal Saturday at 10 a.m. Portugal is minus 150. Caesars has Morocco as the underdog at plus 440. The draw is plus 260. 
Portugal minus half a goal is minus 155. Morocco is plus 122. To qualify, Portugal is minus 333. Morocco is plus 240. The over-under of 2.5 goals in this match, the over is plus 110. The under is minus 140. Uh so let me go out and say I am absolutely in the bag for African teams and the fact that none of them have ever made a semifinals in the World Cup. I am very much looking forward to when that barrier is broken because I love to see the game you know, kind of be spread out beyond South America and beyond Europe. Perhaps that's my United States prejudice shining through, but I tend to like like when teams from the other confederations make a real deep run. And as I looked at, at this game, uh, for the first hour of show prep, I had Morocco bolded because I like the number of 440. I just think it's you know at least decent value that they can 1-0 this game one out of five times. But then I dug in a little bit more, Brett, um, pulled out some of you know your style spreadsheets. And Morocco is the fourth worst team in the whole tournament in chance creation. They've been beat next G three out of the four games. They just left absolutely everything they had on the field against Spain. And the only rationale to pick them is the good vibes. I feel watching them. <laughs> um, so I had the Boulder for a long time because I like the number and because I like the, vi- the vibes. And I do think that, you know, there is an opportunity to win this one out of five times, but I, I just, I just, at the end of this, I can't get on board. There's a roadmap for this Portugal team to succeed. And it's called Manchester United. We saw the exact same thing when a coalition of outrageously talented players who were kind of underperforming their individual talents uh, started to excel the moment Cristiano Ronaldo left the formation. And we saw it again in the last game. It's just it seems like deja vu to Premier League fans. Um, In fact, this is wild to say out loud. But if you told me one of the greatest players who ever lived in Ronaldo was going to start this game, I actually might change my pick to Morocco. But watching the man, watching the manager, hearing his reaction, and watching how well they responded, I think he has the fortitude to do it again. And if they play that same, you know, young, youthful, vibrant uh, collective that they had that really just tore through in the round of sixteen match, then I've got to like uh, Portugal to win. And the way I rationalize, rationalize it uh, on the number because I don't like the minus one fifty. Assuming that's going to be what happens, I'm actually going to adjust it up, and Portugal minus a goal and a half gets you up to plus two hundred five. Wow! Uh, wow, that's interesting. Uh, I mean, okay, I, I want to preface this. I hate this match for the reason is if there were three extra days, I would be so pro Morocco, even with the spreadsheet numbers that you just pointed out. It would be crazy. Um, you would assume that I'm just like I have some Moroccan heritage somewhere in my family bloodlines. Um, but I do think the fatigue factor is going to be a big part of this. I do think the Ramos and Felix uh, Fernandez triumphant with Ronaldo on the bench and Santos, the, the Portuguese manager, has come out and said explicitly this was a tactical choice. It was not punishment for Ronaldo sulking off the pitch, which. God, that dude is just such a prima donna. Um, (laughs) But like he said, this was a tactical thing. He was not playing because basically I thought these guys were better. Um, The one thing I think I would really love to see as a line is when you're going to start getting on the Jao Felix train for Chelsea, 
that's a whole other conversation. Uh, you you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. Liao's my guy. You are Liao. Okay. Like, that's the guy. Okay. That's the guy I'm picturing in Chelsea Blue. I am so coveted of that guy. All right. All right. Well, Arsenal fans can probably enjoy Felix then. Um, but no, I I think that the game against Switzerland is a little bit misleading. I think the first three matches for Portugal in the group stage are more in tune to where they're actually at. Ronaldo, no Ronaldo, whatever it is. Switzerland's formation, their tactical choices that match, I think made the Portuguese look way better. It also helped that Ramos turned a 0.06 XG shot. So a shot that goes into the net from that location off that foot 6% of the time into a thousand mile per hour rocket into the upper corner of the goal where no one would be able to touch it. That definitely changed the match um, in terms of how things started off. And there was uh, a switch after his second goal where a striker came on for holding midfielder that opened up the the whole match in general uh, led to the six, two drubbing where maybe I think Portugal is being a little overvalued. If Morocco has anything left, they have proven they are a very solid defensive team. Yes. I know they haven't created anything, but they are really solid defensively. They can bunker in they can create at least a chance here, at least a chance there. Plus 260. If Morocco has some gas in the tank, I'm not even talking like a half a tank. I'm talking like a quarter tank, Toby. I'm taking them at plus 260 to get the draw in regular time. But the main prop bet is Portugal is plus 1000 to explicitly win in extra time. That is the result I can see. This game makes it through 90 minutes. It's nil-nil. It's 1-1. And then Morocco's gas tank gets all the way to E. It's like the Seinfeld episode of Kramer. They're driving the car. That thing's going to run out of gas. And then Portugal comes through, gets the goal. I think that scenario happens way more than 1-10. in Yeah, well... I, I realize that every once in a while you've seeped into my brain with the XG stuff. And I realize that when I'm starting to quote that in my picks, <laughs> I'm just glad to see it goes both ways. Cause you just gave the same rationale I gave for Japan last week <laughs> and reskinned it with, with Portugal. And I, it's a good bet. It's a good number. Um, for my props, I, I think if you like Morocco, like if you, if you do think that they have a chance to win this, I would go the extra mile. Um, Morocco win to nil is plus 700. So rather than take them at plus 440, I don't think they're going to win 2 1 because I don't yeah. think they're going to score twice. I would agree. So if you like them at 440, go ahead and take them in the win to nil. 100% behind this. 100% behind or, this. Or go all the way on the 1 0 exact Morocco win, which is plus 1200. I, yes. Uh, so, so for so this. Yeah. So for yes. this, if anybody out here is listening, thinks Morocco still has some juice left. Take that line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't, I, I would take either of those over the 440 just to make the odds feel more yeah. true to, to potential outcomes. Uh, if you think Portugal is, is going to win, like the extra time bet's a good one because like, I can't imagine how spent Morocco would, get, would be in that situation. Uh, but from Portugal to win and over 1.5 goals in the match is plus 115. I like that quite a bit. Uh, Portugal to score in the first half. I picked this no last time, even in my five pint, and they made me wear it with you know a bunch of goals. If you want to go yes this time, you're only paying minus one ten against these really tired Moroccan legs and a potentially high flying Portugal offense. 
Um, but my favorite one is half of first of the first goal scored. The second half, you're getting plus 230. So for that number, if you believe the Moroccan defense can just hold on and really like slow this game down and play a boring first half, but then they just don't have it to hold in the second half, then you can get plus 230 that either side nicks a goal after the halftime whistle. So those are the different ways I would attack what I expect to be in this game, which is really tired Moroccan legs, a really courageous, outstanding final stand that falls somehow, some way to Portugal in regulation. Yeah, I mean, I think the only one I would really add to that is uh, uh, Caesars has Bruno at, and I just double checked it again because I didn't write it down, but I remember liking it, uh, plus 210 as an anytime goal scorer. So if Ronaldo's off the pitch, this very much seems like a match where Ronaldo gets their, or where, where Morocco gets their back broken by a penalty. And Bruno is going to take that penalty. I think given the state that Morocco is in, if you think that they are, if the gas tank is too low for them to hang in there, that penalty situation, usually it's about one in four that a penalty is called in a match. I think this one, it's almost about 50% because they are going to be bunkered in so deep. They're going to be so exhausted. There's going to be so many legs sticking out at different people in the box or hands that get a little too far away from the body. Bruno at plus 210 being the penalty taker, I think is great odds. All right. Speaking of exhausted, people are worn out hearing us talk. And so we actually need to get to the final game, which is the single best game of the weekend. And I would argue the best game of the tournament thus far. Uh, We have England versus France at 2 p.m. on Saturday. Please, for the love of goodness, watch this game. It is going to be absolutely incredible. Talent all over the pitch, a real rivalry, some uh, bad feelings between the people on both sides of the stands and some of the players on the field. This is what international soccer is really all about. Until Argentina plays Brazil, um, in the semis, like this is a real highlight of the tournament. So the odds at Caesars, France is plus 130, England is plus 215, the draw is plus 225. France minus half a goal is plus 130, England is minus 170. To qualify, France is minus 150, England is plus 110. The over-under, the over 2.5 goals is plus 105, the under is minus 135. Um Brett, the real question that I want to ask you is what's the real version of each team? Is it the England team that uh, struggled to create against the U.S. and led to a riot overseas in the tabloids who are already calling for Southgate's head two weeks in? Or is it the 3-0 drubbing of Senegal that we saw in the recent team? Is France the 4-1 juggernaut that we saw in the first game, the 1-0 shock loss to Tunisia, or the 3-1 win in the round of 16 where they looked just as good as Brazil did in their win? Uh, I think the real version of France is going to be much closer to the one of four, one Australia. Although the Poland match was weird because I watched that match and I was like, I really, I mean, this is so nerdy to me to say, I cannot believe I'm going to actually say this out loud on a podcast. I was like, I can't wait to see the expected threat numbers of this match. Um, and yes, I have like touched a, a woman, just so everybody knows. Um, <laughs> no, but like humble brag, <laughs> humble brag, hashtag humble brag. Um, no, I, I, and then when I looked at it, it, it was really a not impressive performance when you looked at the numbers of that match. 
Uh, it was way closer than I think like subjectively seen it was. That was concerning. Um, but it's also like, I don't care. It's Kylian Mbappe. Like, and he's going to be going against <laughs> Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire. Um, that seems bad. So I, I, I think the real version of, of France is closer to the Australia version. Obviously, the Tunisia thing was a complete squad rotation. Like Camavinga was playing left back. I almost wouldn't even use that as like a data point. Um, obviously, it's not great. Um, but like, I think it, there really wasn't much to draw from. So I am pretty bullish on France in this match. I think the England team was very, the scoreline was very flattering. Um, when they played Senegal, I still think the same problems that we've had with Southgate exist. I think Harry Kane is a zombie. I think Sterling had was replaced rightfully so with Foden because he didn't have anything left. Um, I'm, I think Saka could eventually be like a pretty good productive winger, but I still think he also is at times is still like kind of in really nice young prospect phase. Um, and on the opposite side of those two is, is Dembele and Mbappe. Like, I don't know. I'm all about France. I'm taking France to win in regular time. I'm taking France to win and both teams to score. And here's my favorite prop bet, Toby. I'm going big on this one. Mbappe plus 800 to score twice. This is his. Wow. This is his tournament and he is going against your boy, Mr. Harry Maguire. That Hmm. seems like a mismatch. (laughs) Oh, you think that's your professional opinion? Um, I am also taking France. I'm taking them in regular time at the plus 130. It pains me to do it as a uh, fan of England. Uh, The thing that scares me the most about taking France in regulation is England seems destined to lose in penalties to continue (laughs) on the long legacy of most painful way possible to lose in major international events. Um, I think this is the exact game that Reese James was born to play in and he ain't there. Uh, so I think that, you know, they've been able to cover up for the quality that he brings to both sides of the pitch in the first couple of rounds, because they haven't faced a Dembélé or Mbappé or, you know, the quality that France has. And I think he could have been a difference maker, maker here for covering up, uh, Harry Maguire and some of the other deficiencies they have, but, you know, he's training with Chelsea right now and he's not wearing the three line kit. Uh, so without him, I don't see how they contain this France squad um, even in the 90 minutes. I think France is going to score at least twice. I can see them get a third while England is chasing. And while England does have the firepower to, to counterpunch them and, you know, maybe get up there. If you think England's uh, expected goals is like in the one to maybe three, but you feel France's is two to four, then unless it's very high negative odds for France, I think you have to take France in regulation here. Yeah. And the, and the one thing I'll point out is, um, and this could have been in our things that we noticed the first stretch, uh, Jude Bellingham is freaking awesome. Um, Oh my God. But even though his name wasn't all over the score sheet, he completely, I thought bossed uh, that match against Senegal. And the weird thing about playing France is he's going up against probably just as good of a awesome young midfield prospect in Chiumeni. And Chiumeni, yeah. that's going to be, I think, one of the things is Bellingham has been incredible, but now he actually is going to have someone on the other side that can rival his and kind of slow down his otherworldly talents. 
Um, and that is part of the reason why I think I'm so bullish on France. I, I love Bellingham. I think he's going to be the best soccer players in the world going forward. Um, but this is not the match where he's going to be able, I think, to have full control of the midfield. Yeah, I mean, Bellingham is this cup's Mbappe, right? Like Mbappe was the best player on France, arguably, when they won the World Cup um, in 2018 at the age of 19. And Bellingham is clearly the best player oh, on England. so good. Uh, at the age of 19. And if they didn't have this draw where they had to go in France, like I think he could, they could have gone to, you know, the semis or uh, the finals, even that they're just running into, I think one of the two teams in the tournament, them in Brazil, that would clearly be favored in this matchup. Yep. So it's just, it's a bad draw for them. So uh, my prop is because I'm, I'm, I'm definitely watching this match on the edge of my seat and I want to align my watching with that experience. Uh, I'm going both score, no draw at plus 185. Uh, France has conceded in every game, despite how incredible and talented they actually are. Uh, and I absolutely, obviously think France gets at least one themselves. So when I said earlier, you know, I think the one to three and two to four, the ranges of expected goals for both teams. So the over two and a half goals at plus 105, but to juice that up even more and increase the excitement level, I think it could go way over the 2.5. And then you just have to, you know, uh, bet on the fact that it's not going to be the same amount for each team. So that's the one I like, and I think it's it's super fun. The other one, if you want to uh, to really you know juice it up and and go after it, uh, do you like your Mbappe twice? Another way to do it is you know if you think England has any chance to score first, and I do, I do think England could score first. Uh, France to come from behind and win or draw in the ninety is plus three ninety. Ooh, I so, like that. Yeah, England gets on the board first, or even, you know, England could go up 2-1 and still lose this game 4-2. There's a lot of ways that you can win with England having, you know, enough attacking prowess on their own uh, that I think that 390 number is super tasty. Ooh, I like that one a lot. I like that one. It was not going to make my five-pint, Toby, but I like that one a lot. All right, well, speaking of the five-pint, let's get to it so we can get all these fine folks out of here and into an incredible set of four games. Uh, on the five pint, you did very well in the first round of December. Your Dembele assist was the difference maker. Uh, so you are up 5.8 to 3.5 right now. Well done by you. Um, but there's a lot more December left, and I feel pretty dang good about my picks this week, Brett. Ooh. So for my five pint, I am going Brazil on the adjusted line, minus 1.5. I'm getting plus 105 on that number. And I'm actually putting two pints on that one, Brett, which is a rare move for Ooh, me. Ooh, the two-pint uh, Toby bet. There you go. Argentina to score second half. Yes, minus 120. Uh, England and France both score no draw, plus 185, because I'm here for the fun. And then Portugal on that adjusted line, minus 1.5, all the way up at plus 205. So I'm going after it this week, Brad. I think that we are going to see Brazil and Portugal winning routes. And I think we're going to see absolute classics between Netherlands and Argentina and England and France. So Toby, I, and I want to preface this before I get to my picks that I do love you, buddy. But because I knew I was up going into this, I took a bet specifically meant to wanting to bury you early in December and give you no hope for the rest of the month. Mbappe two goals? Uh, no. It is the Portugal at plus 1,000 to win an extra time. If that one hits, 
it's bye bye Toby. You might as well wait till January. Um, so I'm putting <laughs> one pint on that. I thought about doing two, but I don't want to be that risky with it. Um, I do think that's a very high likelihood outcome, though. Um, so I'm putting one on that. I got to roll with Messi, Argentina to win, Messi to score plus two twenty five for a pint. Um, and then I do have one on France. Uh, to win in both teams, or sorry, I do have two of my own on one of France to win both teams to score plus 400. Uh, then the final one, I'm gonna pick a good team to do a good thing. Brazil clean sheet win against Croatia plus 103. Can start with the one that's gonna be the home run hitter and then go with the other one that's gonna be my more safe bet. Uh, so those are my five. All right. Well, uh, you are ahead and I like that you're trying to bury me, but you are ahead because I was the one who backed the United States of America last time. (laughs) And that's right. That's where I lost the two pints that you're winning by. So I said it last time. I'll say it again. I regret I have, but two pints to give for my country, Brett. Uh, We will be back early next week to preview the semifinals, which obviously are going to be bangers of their own since this has been a chalky tournament. And Morocco goes out. There's absolutely no combination of games, which isn't going to be nail-biting classics all the way down to the end. Uh, So we are really excited to get to that point. But let's enjoy the journey and not just focus too much on the destination. These are amazing four matches. Go find a place to watch them. If you can find some uh, some place that's rooting for one particular side, a French bar, a Dutch bar, an English bar, whatever it might be, I highly recommend that experience. But however you do it, I'm just glad that you are doing it. We will be back next week, and we hope you enjoy the weekend. Take care, y'all.